My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. My name is Taylor. I'm the youth pastor here, uh, which can be good and bad. For the youth, not necessarily me. So, um, so we have been journeying through the Lord's Prayer, uh, the series Our Father. It's been a six-week series. We are in week three of it. There's six petitions in the series, and so we're on the third petition. And uh, so one of the cool things about this is if you see this up here, kind of subtitle here, is this is how you should pray. You know, there's only one time in Scripture that, we can, that is recorded that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something, and it just so happens to be how to pray. As if uh, they saw Jesus so much, they were with them in the physical presence of Jesus in his time here on earth. And one of the things that we always saw Jesus doing is retreating to pray with the Father, to spend time with the Father. And so if you're the disciples and you see this, you're like, hey, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to do this. Because we see that everything you do is coming and flowing from your relationship and getting away with the Father. And so there's something so powerful in that. So we've been going through this for the last couple of weeks, praying that God would reveal to us what he wants to reveal to us, but also sh- teaching us how to pray, but more importantly, teaching us how to have a relationship with God, teaching us how to be dependent in him. And so it's been such a great couple of weeks. I've been growing. I hope you've been growing. If you've been coming, if this is your first weekend with us in this series, I pray uh, you have such a powerful impact by the spirit in your life today. So uh, I'll have you open up your Bibles, or you can wait here for the wall Bible. We're going to go to Matthew 6. We've been staying in this, and we're going to continue to stay here. It says, on verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. We could stop right there, honestly. He knows what you need before you even ask Him. That changes the whole approach. It's not coming with a prayer list. It's not coming in with all these things you need and desire and all these problems and issues in your life. He already knows. He already knows what's going on. He's all about the relationship. He's all about coming to him and feeling your way towards him and seeking him out. That's what it's all about. He already knows. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So it says pray like this. 
And so I'm going to have the actual Lord's Prayer come up here on the screen. We're going to pray this together. We've been doing this the last two weeks. I think this is powerful because as we learn about a, a verse and a petition each week, it allows us to pray it as a church and that to be revealed more to us. We understand what it means more every time we pray it. And that's the power of these words, understanding their meaning, understanding their value and why they're here and why Jesus taught us to pray these words. And so I'm going to lead us through this prayer, um, but I would ask you to join in with me, that we would say this together, that this would be our prayer this morning. So I'm going to go ahead. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Uh, so uh, my wife and I had bought a house just over a year ago. And uh, it's over here in the Hillsboro area in the Century School District. Um, we used to live out in Forest Grove area out in the country. And uh, moving week can be a big week. It really can be. Uh, we took off the entire week except for the Monday because that was the day we closed that evening. Um, and one thing you need to know, um, there's organized movers and there's unorganized movers. And uh, if you don't know which one you are, when people stop showing up, that's usually a clue. Just telling you. All right? Yeah, wisdom. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we moved. We took it off. So Tuesday morning came along, and we, we, we had a, an enclosed trailer loaded up, a horse trailer from my parents and everything. And so I had a couple buddies come out with their trucks, and we throw everything in them, in these trailers. They're already loaded up, so all they had to do was hook up to the trailers and basically a couple things thrown in the truck last minute and we head off and we move everything into the garage of our new house. Super smooth, super easy. My wife is like really organized so I don't have to be organized. That's the beautiful thing. And so she like, she's so good. She writes like heavy on the box, you know, and then extra heavy just in case. And so us guys, you know, it's like, a pride issue. <laughs> no, it was kind of our running joke throughout the morning. And, uh, and so we move, and it, and it seems to be going really good. I mean, this whole move process has been phenomenal. I mean, move week can be super stressful all the way around, regardless if you've moved before, you know it. It's like, I just want to get through it. There's so much work, so much planning that goes into it. And so we are uh, heading out back to Forest Grove. It's like Friday or Saturday that week, and we're going out for our last stuff, like our last things, our last items. And so we get there, and we're driving our 2015 RAV4, and we're going out there, and, and, and we load up our last couple things. We're throwing, I forget what we're throwing in the car. I remember we throw our skybox, our Yakima skybox, if you don't know what that is. It's like those things that people drive around and attach to the top. They throw snowboards in, luggage, store all kinds of things in their strollers, all kinds of great things, right? And so we throw that on top. We load it up, everything. Super excited because it's like, we're done. This is it. We're moving on from this house. We're closing the chapter here. God has something new for us, right? And so I hop in the car and I remember that it's like a three-quarter mile, mile stretch, straight stretch driving down the road. And I, and I just remember kind of going slow. Like I'm not really going that fast. I'm kind of taking my time and I'm driving and I'm driving and we're going. And, and all of a sudden, um, you know, we're getting to a stop sign because you run into those every once in a while when you drive. And so, uh, so we're coming up on the stop sign and I'm, like I said, I'm not going that fast. I'm kind of coming in, easing my brakes into it and everything. And, and uh, as I come to a stop, the RAV stops. The Yakima Skybox does not. <laughs> um, and so it goes over the top on my hood 
down into the intersection. And this is a three-way intersection, and we're the only ones with the stop sign coming from where we're at. The other ones don't have to. And so immediately my wife gets out of the car. She gets out, and she's, you know, because she's on top of things. That's why I don't have to be. And so she gets out, and she gets into the, kind of out in the road, because the skybox is kind of out there a little bit. I can't remember how far it is out there. And I remember something like she's, like, raising her hands or something. And, and all of a sudden, there's a semi, like, coming in the lane. Don't worry. We're both here. Story doesn't end that way. Um, and so we're both here. And so all of a sudden, uh, the semi, I don't think, was going that fast because I think it just drove on around is what happened. And uh, so she's, she's out there. And I would like to say that I jumped out of the car as fast as she did. Uh, but I don't really remember doing that because I remember having this moment of like, what just happened? You know, you're like, you try to take it in in the moment. And so I, she was quicker than me, I'd say, but I wasn't too far behind her. And so I get out, and so we, we, we pull the, we pull the uh, Yakima Skybox off to the side, and then, I pull, and then I pull the car up, back around, get out of the way, you know, let traffic go through. And so then we grab the Skybox, and we put it back on top of the car. And this time, I lock it on, the car. I latch it on. <laughs> Minor detail. Um, and so... Uh, Unfortunately, I'd like to say, oh, the, the day went on just fine, but uh, that's when you see the damage done. And so the hood of the car has uh, what looks like a tiger came up with like black fingernail polish and scratched three spots on my car on the hood of it. And uh, it didn't look good. Tiger stripes don't look good on a white RAV4. They would have looked great on my 96 Corolla because it would have added value to it. But not the 2015 RAV4. All right? Wouldn't have done. Doesn't do us any good. And so, uh, you know, we, we end up doing what you're not supposed to do, I guess. We went and got nail polish. And we, like, rub it off. And it came right off amazingly. I, I don't know if there's any paint or body guys in here that do car work. I don't know if I broke the rules. Let me know. Um, I was told you're not supposed to. Um, and so it came right off, but there's still three dents that are there now forever and a reminder of that story. And so if you're kind of like me and you think about it, like, yeah, it's like, of course it happens to the newer car and everything. And so you have that feeling. It's like, oh, man, really? And that's kind of how we look at it. Like if you're honest and we're all honest in the room is that when we get to the third petition today of may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we get to God's will and we're kind of like, oh, Dang it. Can we, honey, we came the wrong week. Let's go now. Uh, and so that's how kind of we all get. We have this like negative concept, this idea of God's will. Like when we're praying for it, we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to pray that. Can we skip that? Can we go to verse four today, Taylor? The fourth petition. And uh, the truth is we all have it. We kind of all have these moments because God's will, when we're referring to God's will, it's usually not aligning with our will. That's, that's just kind of the, the basics of why we get that approach. And I think even more than that is we have a tendency to turn God into a formula in our lives. And what I mean by that is that when we come into church and we do our things and we go through life, stuff happens. Like life happens. There's this X variable in the equation and life is going to happen and life is tough and life is hard and it's going to throw you stuff out of nowhere and it's unexpected and you're not going to know what hits you all of a sudden one day. And you're going to wake up in a daze and you're going to go, holy smokes, how did I get here? What did I do? And maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's not your fault. 
And so this happens all of a sudden. If we're to look at the, the equation, we're going to say, hey, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I got. This is what I want. This is my desire. This is my will. And so what we tend to do is we like to manipulate God to get the result that we want. And what I mean by that is all of a sudden life falls apart. Things aren't going the way they're planning. You start coming to church or you start coming to church more regularly. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a certain result. You're coming to church in hopes that things will turn around. Or maybe not quite your result, but something close aligned with it. That's what you're hoping for. And I see it happen all the time. And I'm always speaking from experience because all of a sudden it's like they don't go to the Bible when life's falling apart. And I'll start reading. I'm hoping God's going to speak. He's going to show me something. He's going to encourage me. He's going to do that. And it's not a bad idea, but I'm hoping that I'm going to get this result out of it. I'm hoping I can kind of manipulate God to get what I want. And that's what happens when we go to God in prayer. Is we're kind of hoping for the same thing. We're like, all right, Lord, I need this. I need this. This is what's going on. You know this and everything. And we're, and we're doing kind of the same thing. We're like, God, I, I kind of want this result. And we jump and we plug into a small group. Maybe we're serving on the weekends. We're like, maybe we're giving away money, like hoping karma's going to turn around. Like we start doing some good, good things are going to happen because we got God. And it's sad, but it's true. We all have this tendency and there's seasons in our life and moments in our life where we're trying to use God as a means to an end. That's what we do. If we really look inside of us and really look at it, it's like, man, we go to God with the hopes to get something. And the problem that happens with that is what we realize is that we have a will. We have a desire. We have something that we want. And if we just add God to the equation, we might get our result. But the problem is God's got a will and God's got a desire. The father has a desire. And we live in this tension of in between because we know what we want, but there's also what God wants. And it's tough. That's a tough place to be. It's a tough place to live. Which brings us to the point of, well, then what is God's will? Really, what is God's will? And so when we look at this idea, what is God's will? It comes from the Greek word thalema. And it means pleasure or purpose. And so when we pray this, we're saying, may your purpose or pleasure be done on earth as it is in heaven. May God's purpose, may God's pleasure be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to stop right there because I want to say something. God's will is not cancer. God's will is not death. God's will is not relational turmoil in your life. That's not God's will. That's not in there. See, in the very beginning, if we go all the way back to the creation account, if we go all the way back to when God first created man, we're going to see that God put man in the garden. And he said the man's job was to tend the garden, but he gave him one restriction with the garden. And he said, there's a, there's a tree in the middle. And you can eat from any other tree in the garden, but that tree in the middle of, of, both good, of knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat from that tree. And we look at that, we kind of think, oh, man, I don't know, why? What's the point? I don't understand. Why would he restrict us from one tree? And the truth is, what he's doing is he's giving us free will in that moment. He's given us the choice to choose. We can choose to disobey God, and we can choose to obey God. And the reason that he gives us free will is because he loves us so much. Because love is a relationship. The moment that love becomes force is the moment that it's not love anymore. That'll get you in trouble. And so all of a sudden he says, hey, I'm giving you the choice to choose me. I don't make you choose me. I don't make you follow me. I don't make you do any of that. I give you the choice. That's free will. That's the reason for the tree. But of course he leaves the tree. And what do Adam and Eve do? They take a bite from the fruit. They disobey God. And that's the moment that sin enters this world. 
That's the moment that we have all the disasters and the issues and the problems that we have. And why this world is falling apart and decaying. And so if we really, if we really look at all that, we start looking at our situation and we want to ask the question. It's like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to people who follow Jesus? And I wish I had enough knowledge and wisdom to give you an answer about that. I wish there was a good enough answer because if I think there was a really good equation for that, an answer is simple. I think a lot more people would be following Jesus. I think a lot more people would be, it'd be easy. It wouldn't require faith. It wouldn't require this idea that this place is in our home. It wouldn't require all that. But the problem is it does. And so as we look at this, there's some tough things to accept in this world. But if we really were to look at God's purpose and God's pleasure, if we really say, what is God's will? We could just go through the rest of the Lord's prayer. We could say, man, God wants to provide for us. He wants to give us our daily bread. He wants to be our provider. That is God's will. God's will is that he would deliver us from temptation. God's will is that he would free us from bondage. God's will is that we would be holy. God's will is that he would forgive us. God's will is that he would bless us. I mean, gosh, it just keeps going on and on and on. There's so many good things about God's will. But when they don't, here's when they don't become good. Is the moment that God wants to free us from bondage, but we have such a deep-rooted idol in our life that we don't want to let it go. That we love that car so much, or we love that money so much, we're like, we don't want to let it go. But God's like, I want to free you from bondage because that's my will. So I got to remove it. And that hurts. Whatever you're putting your hope in, and if it's not God, it hurts when he removes it. Man, it's tough. And all of a sudden, God wants to bless you, but sometimes he's got to make room for the blessing. And that hurts. And that's tough. (laughs) And so we live in this tension. It's like, man, God, my will versus your will. And the reality is, is since we've got cancer, we've got sickness, and we've got all this stuff going on down here, we're praying, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because you know what doesn't exist in heaven? Sin, cancer, death. It's not there. It doesn't exist. And so we're praying for that. But more importantly than all of it, what God's greatest will and greatest desire, and what we're talking about in the series, is that you would have a relationship with the Father. That you would have something. That the moment that your relationship starts here on earth, that it goes into eternity. That's his will. That's his desire. That is the greatest thing he wants for you. Everything else in his wills and desires that are good flow from that. And what we kind of think, though, sometimes is that we, we know, though, what's best. Like, we like to think we can outsmart God. See, six years ago, roughly, is when my life started to fall apart. That's when I realized that I wrecked everything good in my life. Kind of hit that end-of-the-rope moment, that, ooh, there's no going back. And so I, I, I really hurt a lot of my closest people to me, devastated those friendships, and it was all my fault. There was no, like, oh, I'm the victim of unforeseen circumstances. No, I did it. I did it. And here's the problem with sin is you can't undo it. You can't undo what you say. You can't undo what you act on. You can't undo sin. It's happened. It's hurt. The word's gone. It's there. 
And so what I did, just like any of us probably try to do in those moments, is I try to go back and fix it myself. I'm like, I'll say, I'm sorry, I'll apologize, I'll work it all out. I'll make it all happen. I got this. And so that's what I do. I just start apologizing. I, I do all of this only to come to this idea that I couldn't undo it. And what happens is as I'm undoing it, as I'm trying, as I'm, as I realize I can't undo it, anxiety and depression set in my life, deep and thick like no, never before. I've never experienced it before. I hit this, I can't do it anymore moment. So what do I do? I go to God. I go to God and I'm like, I, I grew up in the church. I understand there's a God. I understand about relatively who Jesus is. I, I kind of understand some of this stuff. And so I go to God and, I, and I'm seeking him out, but with the intention, with the intention of my will being done. I want, because my will was like, I just wanted to go back to before I messed up. I just want everything to be the way it was before I messed up. That's what I really want. That's my desire. I just wanted to go back to the way it was before, as if before was so great, as, as if before living in my sin was so awesome and so great and so life giving. That's what I really wanted in that moment. But God wanted to do so much more in me. He's like, hang on a second, you don't have a relationship with me. You kind of know me, you kind of feel it out, you kind of you know of who I am. And you know what I am, but you don't have a relationship and you don't know me. And that's what I'm going to focus on first. I know you've got a will. I know you've got a desire, but I have something so much better in store. And then I'm going to have you get baptized. And then I'm going to have you realize that you have a purpose and you have a calling, just like he has for all of us. And so all of a sudden, though, i got to walk through this deep, dark season. And I'd like to say the depression fully went away and the anxiety goes away and it's all good once you surrender your life to Christ. That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes you got to go through a season, you got to walk through it because God wants to do so much more in you than he wants to do in your circumstances. And that's tough to accept and that's tough to surrender to. And I'm not going to say it's all gone all the time. Sometimes it comes back. Sometimes it's in moments. Sometimes it's there. But the reality is, is that I wanted plan B because I thought plan B was so great. But God wanted to give me plan A. And I, I couldn't see it with my human perspective and my will and my desires. I could not see plan A. I couldn't see the best plan for me. I, all I could see was plan B. This is the way things used to be. This is what I want before it came back. This is what I really want. And God's like, I want to give you plan A. I want to give you plan A. I really want to give you that. And I fought and I wrestled. But eventually, at some point, when we know God, when we understand him, we start to surrender to him. And so what we kind of see, though, is this funny idea that we, we don't think, uh, we kind of have this idea of Jesus Christ, the son of God, that he comes on earth, he dies for our sins, and we act like he goes to the cross and it's no big deal sometimes. We act like the most painful death in all of humanity, torture, being whipped, I mean, we act like it's no big deal. Like he, sometimes we kind of give it the short, like we don't understand that. And so his last moments of freedom on this earth, his last moments before he's going to go to the cross and die for the sins, die for the sin that, was, that came into this world the moment that the bite from the fruit happened, that kept, is created a divide between us and God so that we could have a relationship with God. It, there's this divide between us. We can't have the relationship at that moment. God's like, I'm going to put a rescue plan together right away for you. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to send my son. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Past, present, and future sins. Permanent sacrifice. Nothing else is needed. You believe in that, you surrender to that, it's over. It's finished. It's raised from the grave three days later, conquers death. 
Sometimes it's like no big deal. But it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Because when we look at the story, we understand, we get here to Matthew 26, and it's Jesus' last moments of freedom. It's his last moments before he's going to go to the cross and before he's going to die for the sins of the world. And he says, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is, there's this weird mystery in Jesus that he's fully human and he's fully God. And what we see in this passage is better than any other because he says, yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus has a will. Jesus actually has his own will. He has his own desires. He's got a plan B. But if we keep going on, we got in the message translation, it says it like this. And I I think I like it a little bit more. It says, going a little ahead, he fell on his knees praying, my father, if there's any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want, you, what do you want? See, Jesus makes this transition makes this transition from his will, something that he desires, that he wants, that he actually wants the Father's will. He's recognizing the Father has a will, but he takes his will, what he wanted, and he surrenders to the fact that he wants what the Father wants. It's a moment of surrender. He actually gives to the fact that the Father wants something, and he knows it's so much better in that moment. But it takes faith still in that moment. It's surrender. It's admitting. It's in knowing that you, you don't know, but God knows what's best. But what I really love about this passage of scripture is we catch, this is the first prayer in that moment. Jesus goes over, he checks on his disciples, they're sleeping, he comes back, he prays again. Very similar words to this. Then he goes and he leaves again and he goes and checks on his disciples, still sleeping, comes back and it says he said some similar words to this as well again. See, surrender is a process. It doesn't happen in just a moment. It doesn't happen like, go, oh, I'm going to come and I'm just going to surrender. You may surrender your life today, but it is going to be a lifetime of surrender to Jesus. Surrender doesn't just happen instantaneously. It's a mindset. It's a posture that Jesus is teaching us how to have. Not my will, but your will. That's hard to say. That's hard to pray. Surrender. Surrender your will. Surrender plan B for A. And so eventually Jesus goes to the cross, right? And he dies. And three days later, he's raised from the grave. And if we, if we catch up back up on the scene, we see this in Mark 16, the gospel of Mark. All of a sudden, there's three women and they're coming towards the tomb that Jesus is supposed to be in. And the reason that they're going to the tomb, they have spices, it says. And since they're going to the tomb with spices, it means that basically what they wanted, their plan B, wasn't happening. See, they wanted Jesus to be the Messiah that came in and overthrew the Roman government and got rid of their oppression. That's what they wanted. That's what they thought the Messiah was going to be. That's what they thought Jesus came to do. That was plan B in their mind. That's what they humanly could wrap their minds around from what the prophets were speaking to. That's what they thought, at least. That's what they expected Jesus to be. The problem was that was not the Messiah Jesus was. He didn't come to liberate them from Roman oppression, but he came to liberate them from the power of sin. He came to give us forgiveness. That was plan A. 
And so as they're walking to the tomb, we already know Jesus is risen from the grave. And they have this question that comes up. They go, hey, who's going to roll the rock away? Who's, who's going to roll the rock away? And I'm not picking on any women in this room, but three women in the, the size of the rock that they were going to have to move, it was going to be too much for them. Might have been too much for three men. I don't know. <laughs> because there's this massive rock, this massive rock that would have stood in the way of the tomb, that would have been in front of the tomb. And to get inside the tomb, they would have needed to move it. And we're not talking about a little kicker. We're talking about a massive rock. And that's what they're worried about. And it's a legitimate concern because they are still focused on plan B. They're still focused on what they thought was going to happen. So they're taking these spices. They're going to go to the body with them. That's what they're doing. They're given the proper burial. That's what they're going for. The proper death. That's what their minds are on. The Messiah they thought it's not. But we know how the story ends. We understand it from a greater perspective because we know the ending. We see it. We have a much bigger perspective of how it looks. And so in the moment, we're like, that's a silly question. Why are they worried about who's going to roll the rock away? Don't they know? Don't they know that it's already gone? That Jesus has risen from the grave and he has conquered death. He has conquered sin. Don't they know? We, that's how we look at it. And so in our perspective, it's like they're worried about a pebble. They're worried about something so small in the scheme of eternity. And I think that's kind of what it is for us as well, is that we're worried about pebbles in the scheme of eternity. That we really are. That when you really look at it from a big perspective, knowing the ending, knowing what's going to come, that it is so small. It is so small. Who am I going to marry? Who am I going to date? What job should I have, God? God, should I go there? Should I be there? Where should I go, Lord? What are you asking me to? What's your will? That's all I want. What's your will? Going to him for a means to an end. We're so worried about pebbles in our life. We're so worried about little things in the scheme of eternity. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not here. It's not, our hope is not in anything here. We are not building houses. We're pitching tents. This isn't it. This is not our home. And that doesn't mean that we're not going through some tough moments and some tough times and some darkness and some valleys and some things that aren't letting up and some things we're asking, why, God? Why did it happen to me? Why did this have to go down in my life? Why did I have to suffer this? Why am I here? Why, 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 why? And I don't want to give you a pat answer. And I don't want to sit there and go, man, just have more faith. Because I think that's ridiculous. But all I want to say is, are, are we worried about the rock being rolled away in the scheme of eternity? Is that what we're worried about? Is that, is that what our perspective is? We're worried about a rock in the scheme of what God has already done. Because that day he rose from the grave and he conquered death. And he sent a statement to the enemy. The rescue mission was happening and sin was conquered that's tough to believe some days it's tough to have the faith some days to understand that and to believe that and walk that not denying it not denying that at all but this place is not our home it's not our home it's not where we're supposed to be it's not forever it's just temporary and so I want to close with this verse here for you guys. 2 Corinthians 15, 17. He said, He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. I don't know what you came in with today. I don't know where you're at. I don't understand it, but I know God does. I know he knows. Some of you are carrying some stuff from the past that you got to let go. Some of you guys are still focused on that old person, that old way of life, the old things, the little thing. Let it go. Stop looking at Christ from a human point of perspective. It takes faith to know him now. So if you surrender your life and you are in Christ, it says, which means you've surrendered to the fact that Jesus went on the cross and died for the sins of the world, for your sins, past, present, and future. If you believe that, then you're in Christ. Then you can let go of that old life. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up because I want to offer two responses at this time. And the first one's for salvation. And when we talk about salvation, we're talking in the fact that there was a man who walked this earth, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. He dies on that cross. And you may not have been there. You may not have witnessed it. You weren't there in person. But it happened. And it happened for you. And that death was the permanent sacrifice. It was the permanent, permanent solution for your sin that was going to keep this divide between you and God. He dies so that you can have a relationship with God, so that you can know God. So you can have a relationship from now into eternity. So you can start not, not living for this place, but living for eternity with the Father. And you may not have been there, but you're going to have faith in the fact that that death happened and that he raised from the grave three days later. That's salvation. And then it forever changes you. And then I want to give you a, the rest of us in the room, and maybe you're there, maybe it's not, maybe you're not, but me, I am a, I have a tendency to use God as a means to an end, to get something out of him. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're going through a season. Maybe you're going through, you're saved. You've surrendered your life. You know Jesus. You've experienced him in mighty great ways. But right now you're going through a season and you're like, hey, I need to surrender my will for his will. Because right now I keep using him. I keep getting into the Bible. I keep using means of good deeds. keep using church all for all these good needs. And let me tell you something. If this is your first time at church today, you came to church because life's falling apart, you made the best decision possible. If you started praying because life started falling apart, you made the best decision possible. If you start reading your Bible, it's the best decision you can make. I will encourage you and I'll say that. It's the best decision you can make. But if you do it with the wrong intentions, you're missing out. You're going to be gravely disappointed when you get there. You're going to be gravely disappointed because God wants to do so much more in you than you can possibly think or imagine. Right response, wrong intentions. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? And I want to, I want to offer a prayer up for all of us. The first one, this is for you who have never surrendered your life. You never believed in the blood of Jesus. And I, I want to give you that opportunity. And so say these words with me. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins, past, present, and future. And I surrender my life to your Lordship. I surrender. If that was you, if you said that prayer, would you just raise your hand right now? Would you just put your hand up a posture? This isn't for anyone in the room. This isn't for anyone next to you. This isn't between you and God. Would you just put your hand up? All right, thank you. And if some of us in the room right now, we need to... 
maybe we need to just surrender our lives to Jesus in the sense of, man, we believe, we know him, but we got to surrender that. So Lord, if that's us in the room tonight, if we've been trying to make you a formula, make you a means to an end, if that's us here this morning and what we're doing, if, we, if we're coming through a season, Lord, we just surrender to you right now. We just raise our hands up right now. If that's you in the room, you're coming through that church, that's me, it's you, it's all of us. Don't let someone make that decision for you this morning. Man, when you raise your hand, it's an outward reflection of what God is doing on the inside. It's a moment of surrender. Thank you. Thank you. Let me put your hands down. So, Lord, we come before you, and we're so thankful for who you are and what you do. Man. Lord, allow us to surrender, Lord. Allow us to know that the best thing we can do is read our Bible, pray to you, love you, God, pursue you, come to church more regularly, Lord, whatever it is. The best thing to do is to seek you and to feel our way towards you. It's the best thing, Lord, but if we come at it with the wrong intentions, we are going to be gravely disappointed, God. And so just help remind us today, wherever we're at in this journey, whatever's going on in our lives, Lord, I just pray your will would be done. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. But Lord, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.